streaming live at weru.org. Blues to make you feel good. All aboard for the Blues Station. Support for WERU comes from our listeners and from Mabel Wadsworth Center, providing comprehensive sexual and reproductive health services to people in northern and eastern Maine since 1984. Insurance, Maine Care, self-pay accepted, and reduced fees for uninsured clients. MabelWadsworth.org. Community Radio, WERU-FM 89.9 Blue Hill, and streaming live at WERU.org. Support for WERU comes from Susan Bakley and Chris Marshall at the 13th Moon Center in Montville, offering shamanic healing, art from the heart, through art therapy and classes since 1985. More information is available at 13thmooncenter.net, all spelled out, or 589-3063. And stay tuned for Healthy Options, but before we go to that wonderful program, which is live today here at WERU in Orland, Maine, understand this is fundraising. This is the time when people who appreciate the programs that are on the air, that they listen to throughout the year, and they appreciate through the year, and they want to hear them in the future, they get on the shtick and they call 1-800-643-6273 and say, I want this to continue because it is cool, it is nice, it is good, it's informative, and we want it more in our future. So that's the way to guarantee that. 4696, I'm sorry, 4690 that's right, 469-6600 is the other way to get in. Wherever you live in the world, area code 207-469-6600, and you can connect up and make a healthy pledge to make sure that WERU Community Radio in Orland, Maine, continues coming your way. Stand by for Healthy Options. Good morning, I'm Rhonda Feynman. Thank you for tuning in to Healthy Options here on uh, this foggy Wednesday morning. Our guest today is Chris Floriel, a medical librarian who has a particular interest in consumer health. She has a master's in library and information science and has accrued almost 30 years of experience in her field. Her lifelong interest in medicine naturally led her to focus on medical issues and also led her to an intense scrutiny of healthcare and medical information websites. Last summer, Chris Floriel and her colleague, Susan Bloomfield, contributed to the Healthy Maine Supplement of the Portland Press-Herald with an article entitled, Look Up Medical Info Online, But Carefully. She is here with us today to discuss what she has discovered and what she might recommend for us as we seek out healthcare information on the World Wide Web, on the great Internet. Welcome to Healthy Options, Chris Floriel. Good morning. How are you? I'm wonderful. So here we are. Um, What I want to start with is there is just so much information out in the world. Um, What is the first thing that you would say we need to um, be mindful of as we uh, explore, explore the... uh, explore the web. I know you have a brochure about this, so maybe you could tell us some of the things just as a very basic basic uh, framework for what we're going to be talking about. And I know that um, we do have a very specific um, uh, idea. You're going to help us talk through how to research something, for instance, breast cancer, for instance. But in the meantime, what, what are the kind of the basics as someone, uh, you know, puts in whatever their, their ailment is? Well, one of the things that people need to keep in mind is the internet is actually wonderful. The problem is it's not organized in any kind of way. And so it's quite possible to have something that's factual, um, reliable, right next to something that could be just someone's opinion. Um, And of course, how do you tell the difference? Um, one of the things that I like to, to point out to people is there, when you look at a website's address, generally those last three letters can be a clue as to um, the source. It will tell you the source. Um, the ones that are probably most reliable that I would go with are the ones that are .edu. Those are from educational 
institutions, .gov, so those are government, .org, those are generally nonprofits. Um, the ones that, not that they're bad, but that make me a little cautious are the ones that are .coms because that means it's a business, they have a commercial interest. Not to say that the information there isn't valid, but they may have more of an interest in trying to promote products that they are selling. So what kind of mindset should a person have as they start exploring? What what, what do you recommend um, as you're reading information and, and, and such, how, how should one approach their, their, uh, their search, their search? Well, there are some points to consider when people um, are on the web. And, and by the way, I don't really have anything against Google. It's a matter of um, putting in the, the terms that are going to be uh, best for pulling things up. But once someone has put in some, a, a request into Google, uh, what they want to, and they come across websites, what they want to look at is who wrote it and why did they write this website? Do they appear to be an expert in their field? And so can you trust what they're saying? Um, under, under the why, are they actually trying to uh, share reliable information? Are they trying to convince someone to buy things that they are selling? Or are they actually just expressing their opinion on something? Um, how recently the information was updated is also key, especially in the medical field, particularly in some areas. The information changes day by day. Um, in some areas, it's, it doesn't change quite as quickly. But if someone is looking at a website and it doesn't appear to have been updated, for instance, say in the last five years, okay. they might want to find something that's a little bit more recent than that. Um, where is the information coming from? Um, do they list, if they make statements about things, um, do they have references to back back that up? And is the information based on scientific research? Um, also, what does the website say? Do they make claims that sound too good to be true? And we all know the if it sounds too good be, to be true, it probably is. What? <laughs> it, you mean, it, if they not. tell you they can cure your, uh, your cancer, we're not supposed to believe them? Chris, I'm shocked. <laughs> Well, maybe they, maybe there is a cure, but you know, well, why, we you have a, to be careful about uh, you know throwing everything out. But um, right, yes. but we do have to have a perhaps a skeptical mind, cautious, yeah, cautious. Um, I actually recently was evaluating a website, and I actually deliberately limited my search to sites that were .dot com because I just wanted to see if sites that, that are primarily business sites um, really can provide valid information. This was a site. Um, one of the statements that the, the man made, and I was particularly looking up TMJ, temporomandibular joint syndrome. He stated that one of the causes is hormonal imbalances. Well, this made me remember a, a comment that my doctor had made when I was actually pregnant with my son. Um, he, he explained he liked to ask his medical students, if you have a woman who is diabetic and pregnant, when is the most difficult time to manage her diabetes? And the answer is the first trimester trimester because hormones are really out of bounds. So keeping that in mind and looking at this sweeping statement that TMJ can be caused by hormonal imbalances, my thought was that means every pregnant woman who's in the first trimester potentially could develop T 
TMJ. And I seriously doubt that's happening. But there also there were no references to articles that, that talked about that. Interesting. Oh, yes. <laughs> so what happened? We don't know. So what was, was he recommending something, I mean, that one should take? Well, uh, I'm sure that his website had, um, how shall I put this, um, not exactly medicines because he was a, I believe he's a naturopath, and I actually, I don't have anything against naturopaths. I think that we should be open-minded about um, not only traditional Western medicine, actually, no, Western medicine as opposed to traditional medicine. And I think that traditional right. medicine well, certainly has um, a lot to to offer. I don't think that... Um, well, it's tricky. It's tricky, Chris, because, um, you know, in, in my training, that example, for instance, you know, hormones... No, it does things that does change the way the ligaments work. It does change the way bones work. So in that example, perhaps maybe it's not, you know, it, was, it wasn't stated in a way that was educational, in a way that explained why that could possibly be the case. But um, Yes, and I personally, I think I would have liked an explanation. But they're right. And I think that's it, that there are other diagnostics that might indicate why someone's ligaments and joints might be affected by some other hormones, but what hormones and what else is going on in the individual? You know, that's, I think, one thing that it's hard to get from a website, and I think that's what you're bringing out. Each case is individual. There could be 110 people with TMJ who walk into that person's office, and each one would have it. Uh, a different case history, obviously, a different constitution, and therefore you would be treating TMJ, but you would do it differently for each person because of their own constitution. But if you're researching this, there's no way to know what, without more information, I would say, you know, how to, dif- how to do a differential diagnosis. If you are experiencing these things, Perhaps your TMJ is coming from this. If you're experiencing these things, there's a likelihood it's coming from this. You know what I mean? So I think that's an interesting example of not enough information, just throwing something out. I mean, would you agree that? Oh yes. Yeah. Yes, and it, I, I tend to be sort of naturally curious about the why of things, particularly in in the area of medicine. Um, but I think that that curiosity has been more honed over over the years that I've been a, a medical librarian. Oh, I would imagine. So, yes. Yeah. So you've seen it all. Well, I can't say I've seen it all yet, but I've certainly seen a lot. And actually, you know, I was talking about one of the things to think about is where the information is coming from. A number of years ago, a friend of mine emailed me. Uh, the, the website addresses for a couple of places that her sister had found online. She wanted to know if I was familiar with either site. What I, the one site I particularly remember was a woman had started a business selling packets of information on cancer. Hmm. So I looked at the website, and there was no indication what her training was. Now, she was a cancer survivor, and having helped a few people who were diagnosed with cancer, I know that people can be extremely motivated to find as much information as possible as, and as quickly as possible. But there was nothing about, beyond being a cancer survivor, what training she had in terms of being able to research the literature there was nothing about where the information was coming from and nothing about how old it was. Hmm. And part of the reason I mentioned where it was coming from and, and the fact that she wanted people to pay for it, um, hmm. well, I, I like to joke that if people think that the government isn't always spending their tax dollars wisely, there are a number of websites 
that the government has created where people can get information and it's free. Um, they are primarily websites that have been created by the National Institutes of Health. And the main library, so to speak, that, that um, I use their resources is the National Library of Medicine, which is part of the NIH. And increasingly, more and more full-text articles are available to anyone through these various websites. Now, when you say full-text full, uh, articles, what, are you referring to a lot of times medical journals or medic articles that go into great detail with scientific studies, you get the blur, but if you don't aren't a member or you're not a medical doctor and you haven't paid many hundreds of dollars usually or maybe more, you can't <laughs> yes. get the info. Are you saying that at the National Library of Medicine you can get full text of some of these some of these articles? Is that well or is that something first of all, there are some journals that have always made their articles available. Oh. Um and in fact, uh, there's a British company, Biomed Central, that started a few years ago. All of their journals are are referred to as open access, so the full text is available. In the United States, we have the Public Library of Science. You may see the abbreviation PLOS. All of their journals are available full text. But one thing that's really wonderful is about 10 years ago, the National Library of Medicine, actually, and the NIH, mandated that any research articles that were published where the research had been funded at least in part by the NIH have to be made publicly available, mm. period. They may not be available immediately. Um, for some journals have an embargo period. But at least um, after whatever the embargo period is, yes, those articles are avail available full text. Well, that's extraordinary. I didn't know that. Isn't it? <laughs> I, and no, I'm sure many of our listeners didn't know that, that you can actually... You can actually get deeply into whatever it is you're researching by, if, if that's your want, <laughs> by uh, by going to some of these sites. Yes. So you don't have to just do a superficial search. Now, I we, I want to talk more about these. these. That's very interesting that we can do that um, because I, I think that m many of us, if you are diagnosed with something, you want information from a wide variety of sources. We would like the, this is what the established medical community in a traditional way, as it were, or a Western way, is saying. So I want to evaluate that. And then we want to talk to the naturopaths and we want to talk to these other areas, other people. And then we also want to find credible resources on, on, on that channel. You know, I, I, I would say, would, would you say that's in your experience working with people that oh, yes. you want to gather all what is out there about this condition and how can I evaluate what would be the best treatment strategy for me? And that's, uh, I think, why people do this. And, and often, oftentimes I would say there must be a lot of fear and a lot of uh, angst. So sometimes our best evaluation and discernment parts of ourselves are, are not um, so evident as we go into something with, with that kind of anxiety. So what you're talking about here are, are wonderful resources that can uh, give us one piece of, of that puzzle. Oh, yes, yes. And I was going to mention, um, having helped um, people who had received cancer diagnoses, I remember quite clearly um, a number of years ago, a friend of mine called to tell me that she had just been diagnosed with breast cancer. At that time, I was the library director at Dana-Farber Cancer Institute, and she told me she was in her selfish mode. She said she figured who better to call than the librarian at, at Dana-Farber. I would say you're an amazing resource. <laughs> and wanted to know what she should read. <sighs> now, interestingly, we both um, worked in Boston. We 
commuted by train and usually saw each other. And so this was a Friday afternoon. Monday morning, I got on the train. She got on. She already had a three-ring notebook and dividers and was collecting information. Mm -hmm. And she just was very focused on collecting information, as, as much information as possible. And the more information that people have, the better the discussion they, they can have with their providers. It offers the opportunity to ask more questions. And I personally feel that the more I know, the better I can help my doctor. Um, I can have, um, I want to be involved. And I think more and more people want to be involved with their health care rather than taking the approach that, oh, well, the doctor knows everything or the doctor knows best, and therefore I'll just, I'll just do what the doctor says. I, I really um, believe that more and more people want to be engaged, and the best way to be engaged is to have information. Thank, yes. Um, let me just say right now that you're attuned to WERU Community Radio, and if you have just tuned in, this is Healthy Options. I'm Rhonda Feynman, and we're speaking with Chris Floriel, a medical librarian and researcher of medical and healthcare websites. So we're learning a little bit about, and maybe more even, about uh, how to, how to, what's available out there that would be credible and you can trust. So, for instance, the example you gave with that very well-meaning, probably, woman who was a survivor giving the information that she had, well-meaning, the, the trick there was that asking for money for it is certainly questionable in, in terms of what you were saying about uh, without the the data and without the information of how old it is and and we have to be worried uh careful we can read the anecdotes and see what we can take from it but if we want really hardcore information about what's been researched we have to be a little bit more discerning and 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 in depth would you say yes exactly like your friend was. Of course, having your home number uh, of the uh, medical researcher at Dana-Farber is not <laughs> what... We're not giving that out, don't worry. <laughs> is uh, also a big plus, right? Connections, connections. Well, so we already have... And I, and I think it would be fine to list when we put this on the archives. We'll list a lot of these websites. So people, I know, are probably writing it down now. Um, but we can also, we'll make that available, and maybe some others too, right? Um, yes. So what, let's just talk about some of the websites that, that, um, that you're working with that are easily, well, these are all easily accessible, um, but are, are the first line. Or let me rephrase that, and maybe we can talk about, if you're given a diagnosis, how do we know how to ask for information? How, what should we, how do we structure a search so that we're getting the information we need? And I, maybe you can help some people start framing um, how, to, how to start a search if that's not what they usually do. Well, no, it's not, it's not what a lot of people <laughs> do. And, and actually, if I can mention this, uh, when I, although a lot of resources are available free and anyone with an Internet connection can go to the website, um, after doing this for a number of years, I realized that I've developed a mindset, and all librarians do, and you know, someone comes to me with a question, and I start thinking about, okay, how am I going to look for this information? When I was at Dana-Farber, sometimes a doctor or a nurse would ask for a literature search. And it, so many times they would come to pick it up and almost they'd be guilty and say, you know, I should be able to do this. And I usually pointed out that their education and their experience had taught them how to deal with the issues that they normally dealt with. Mm -hmm. And my education and my experience had done the same thing for me. And thank goodness I did not try to do their jobs. Hmm. So, um, well, I think for starters, one of the things that I would recommend 
is, first of all, picking a good website to go to. And although people can access the world's largest biomedical database, database which is called PubMed. P-U-P as in P-U-B-M-E-D Peter. P-U-B-M-E-D dot G-O-V. Pub, P, as in public. P-U-B-M-E-D. Public, yes, exactly. Yes, the, the National or the National Library, Library of Medicine made this database publicly available almost 20 years ago. Prior to that, uh, people had to have an account. And for folks who might be interested, in the old days, it was DOS-based. It's now web-based. Much easier mm. to, to search. Back in the last century. Okay. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and they have actually, because there's been more of almost an explosion on, of ways for people to access information or to search for it, the National Library of Medicine has made PubMed much more user-friendly than it was in its previous incarnation. So, but so PubMed, as I said, is the large, world's largest biomedical database. If a doctor or a nurse or someone you know, comes to me and says, I need information on this topic, that's very often my starting point. If I had an issue, that's probably not where I would start. I would start with the consumer-oriented database also created by the National Library of Medicine called Medline Plus. And as I like to describe it to people, it is WebMD without the commercial interest. Ah. uh, I just can't say enough good things about Medline, Medline Plus. Um, okay. So just to give an example, I went to Medline Plus and I typed in the search box breast cancer. And interestingly enough, it said to me basically, well, do you want breast cancer or do you want male breast cancer? So I just Good. chose general breast cancer. Um, just that quick search gave me over. 2,900 results. Oh, my goodness. However, I just picked the very first one, which comes from the National Library of Medicine, and it has a summary, a section start here, a section on diagnosis and tests, um, actually prevention and risk factors, treatments, and then down below, there's a box with research, so you can look up statistics and research. People can look up clinical trials if those are applicable. So you, it's possible to go to this database, clinicaltrials.gov, put in a disease, and find out if there are clinical trials that perhaps are still recruiting. Uh, for instance, if it's cancer, what stage they are looking at or where the what phase of the trial they are in. Um, there's also a reference desk, something called find an expert. So you can, for instance, if someone's diagnosed with cancer, they could find a cancer doctor wherever they are. Mm. How would you get on how would you get to be an expert on that site? What are your what are, is there criteria or? That oh, that's an excellent question, and I have to say I don't know. <laughs> um, my first thought would be that, for instance, in terms of cancer doctors or oncologists, they may have the um, membership of the American Society of Clinical Oncology. Sure. Yeah. One of the other things, by the way, that's that's wonderful about Medline Plus, without too much digging, right on the home page, there are links to associations and um, directories. The associations, since we're talking about cancer, include the American Cancer Society, but also Susan G. Common. Oh, go, yeah, uh-huh, right. 
I wonder if Susan Love would be on there because she's done so much work. Um, Dr. Susan Love, you know, the breast cancer book for women and I'm exactly with her work <laughs> because that has helped so many of my clients and my and people I know. And she's certainly not selling anything, but is there to kind of talk you through what and it gives you kind of good questions to ask. I wonder if she would be on there. That I would be. Don't- I don't recall whether she actually has an organization or not, but interestingly, her book was the one that I recommended to my friend. Ah. Oh, I love it when we're all on the same page. (laughs) I like to say that to librarians. Are we on the same? Okay, no, that was... (laughs) What page? Yes, we're on the same web page. Okay, good. That's Exactly. All right. Silly us. Okay. But, um, so... um, now, when you found that, now, did you find, as as uh, for instance, um, Doctor Love's book was that from personal experience or from your medical research? You know, library well, research. Actually, to be really honest with you, when I was at Dana Farber, when I started there, the library was really geared toward the researchers. Uh huh. There was a small clinical oncology collection um, that wasn't actually a library. They didn't offer any services. And as the story I was told goes, people had to have MD after their name. So the people who were only PhDs couldn't use it. Oh, my. I know, I know. (laughs) So a group of researchers decided that they really needed a... uh, a collection of their own. Um, granted, this was a number of years ago, and people could actually walk over to Harvard's medical library. But if you're a busy researcher, you don't have time to go. No, go go over there. Um, so, actually, at that time, and when my friend called me was about 20 years ago, I had not been dealing so much with patients. Right. And but I knew the librarian who was the head of the patient library at what was then Beth Israel in Boston, what is now Beth Israel Deaconess. And I asked her. So one of the things that's wonderful about medical librarians is we are very connected. So, you know, we belong to different consortiums yes, that's and such. One, and, right. Yeah. I'm just going to call Barbara up and find out what she thinks. I'm just going to call Chris up and see where would she go for this. People yeah. do this. Yes. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm actually um, on a listserv of medical librarians. It's wonderful because it's international. Oh. And, yes. Uh, actually, someone just posted an article about treatment after, you know, beyond when it's really going to do any good. And uh, she's from Israel. And I thought, wow, this is really cool. Wow. So where would you say that the um, the research... So that was the other question I had when you were talking about the, um, the Medline Plus. Is this international? Is this the whole, the whole, uh, the whole world <laughs> of information? Or are we just... Um, just dealing well, with the United States researchers, or <clears throat> probably most of it is is U.S. Although that does bring up something, some of these resources on Medline Plus are available in other languages. Uh-huh. So it's not all just English, right? And by the way, there are also um, videos that are available through Medline Plus. Oh, so I have what would gone... the videos be? Well, I was going to tell you. Um, Please. It's probably not what most people want to see, but um, I sometimes go on rounds in the intensive care unit, and one day a doctor was talking to another doctor and said that he thought it would be very interesting to see a video of a nephrectomy removal of a kidney, Whoa. Oh, done right. laparoscopically. Now, a kidney is not exactly a tiny organ. And trying to remove one laparoscopically... That means without 
that's really not... small incision. Right. Yes. So he didn't ask me, but I have learned over the years to pay attention to those unasked questions. So I went back to my office, and actually I went on to Medline Plus and typed in a little bit, laparoscopic nephrectomy. And lo and behold, I was able to find a link to a video of a partial nephrectomy done laparoscopically, and it was robot-assisted. Whoa. And sent him the link. So if you are so inclined, if you're going into surgery and (laughs) have that mind, you actually could look up your operation, perhaps. Yes. Whoa. And then if you're not squeamish, you can watch that. (laughs) Maybe that's too much information for some. So, you know, I know we're getting some some people want very specific um, requests about their specific issue. I think we're not going to be able to get to, to very specific questions about exactly everybody's um, um, particular case. I think what we can do, though, is help with the general, the idea of how you can do this yourself. And what I do want to ask you is, um, how can you get help doing this? Because everybody is not going to be your friend even, uh, or, you know, everybody isn't inclined or able to uh, get the information but themselves, but but wanted it. Would you, how do you seek out help? So the, some of the people who called, um, my, are there other librarians? Do you have to be a medical librarian? Do you go to your local library? How, how can people get help to research their own questions? Well, one thing that people can do is see if they're the hospital, for instance, where their doctor might be affiliated, has a medical library. Huh. Most medical libraries in hospitals work with patients as well as the staff. Oh, now, I didn't know that. Uh, yes. Thank you, Chris. <laughs> Once upon a time, they, they weren't quite as user-friendly, shall we say. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of them uh, do. And also uh, public librarians. Now, subsequent to the article that was in the Portland Press-Herald that Susan and I wrote, I decided to contact my public library in Brunswick and offer to give a presentation to the public. And not only did they want me to do a public presentation, they also now want me to do this twice a year. They asked if I would do a staff training. Excellent. As well. And then this past November, I was invited to give a presentation at the Maine Library Association's annual meeting. So I was able to share a lot of this information with other public uh, librarians. So, And hopefully... I will be going up to Ellsworth at some point to talk to public libraries up there. Well, you'll certainly have to keep us posted uh, about about that. I know those are excellent resources. Um, the other thing, uh, yes, so I see also in your article you talked about the Medical Library Association. They they publish a list of top health websites. What, how, how would you access that? Oh, okay, go ahead. You can just go to mla.net? Uh, uh, .org. Yes. .org, okay. Yes. I, have it right, I happen to have it right in front of me. That was a, a, a trick question. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> well, you know, my problem is that, oh, it's mlanet.org, that's it. Oh, yes, there it is. mlanet.org. If I start searching, you know how you be, once you've searched a website, it autofills, and so I don't pay attention to right. the rest of it. So but what's, yes, I'm glad you mentioned that. Um, so there's a banner at the top, and over on the far right is um, a section called For Patients. Not only do they have um, a list of top websites, they also have something called, I think, What Did My Doctor Say? Because most of us aren't familiar with some of the abbreviations that that, uh, medical speak and and other terminology. Um, And this is a great way for people to be able to, you know, people can go and say, oh, so this is what this means. Um, Right, because many people do walk out of, they're in shock 
or and even if someone is there with them who doesn't and taking notes, you walk out going what if you don't have a, a little sense of medicine, you and and mo- and sometimes things are not explained in a way that are user friendly, consumer friendly, patient friendly. Yeah, I think that doctors are getting better about that. Yeah, um, and it's it's difficult for me to completely judge because I have acquired some knowledge over the years, but I do think that they are are um, better about explaining things. Interestingly, um, about a year ago, my partner had an abnormal mammogram, mm. went for a biopsy. Um, in short order, in, a, in the span of about six weeks, she had, I don't know how many mammograms and at least two biopsies. But we went together to meet with the surgeon who was fantastic about explaining things in language that I think anyone could understand. Well, that's that's wonderful that yeah. that we're seeing that when you're when you're looking through these Medline Plus and you've gotten your twenty nine hundred articles and you're trying to sift through this information. Would you say? Also, do they also talk about some of the studies and, and the drugs and how those are tested? How would those are vetted as well? You know, um, I know that there's um, there's sometimes questions that, that come up about about testing being done by people, by drug companies who want to sell it. Or uh, we know that there's, you know, those kinds of things. Even on these websites, how would, is there a way that you can recommend or is there a way to one can be clear about why these drugs are being recommended and who did the research and, and what those clinical studies look like? I mean, it's not like – do you see what, where I'm going with yeah, that? Just, I, like, I think- just like the hormones and, and TMJ, I think even on these – Credible, well, not, that could be credible too. But um, on these more traditional, popular websites, how do we vet that that information? Uh, <clears throat> Didn't mean to stump you there. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. I I don't mind saying I'm not sure or I don't know. Yeah. Um, it's probably easier to find out how the drugs work and i believe you could someone could go into for instance um medline plus and because you can oh you can you can search drugs ah well in medline plus and supplements ah. so that if someone were interested in taking echinacea for instance they could go in type in echinacea and find out what it's most likely used for, um, if there are any side effects or adverse effects, possibly, hmm. then they can go that way. So, and then, again, um, if you put in uh, certain Chinese herbs there, they'll probably tell people not to take them. But if you do other research, then you will find out the benefits of them. So it gets a little tricky, doesn't it? Yes, because I've had people come to me and I I mean, I have this uh, situation where without that, that there are incredible formulas. And I know other practitioners have this that we use for breast cancer. We use to help people get through chemotherapy. Yet people are coming in and their doctors are saying, don't take anything. We don't know what that is. And of course, I say, well, if I give the person this thing and something happens, they're going to think it's what I've done. Not anything that was uh, anything that that happened during the course of uh, of their treatment. So it becomes a little tricky about how to how to treat on those levels, you know. So it does, and and I know that there are um, some situations where I'll call it traditional medicine as opposed to Western. They don't necessarily know exactly how it works. Um, yes. I have a friend who's an acupuncturist, and I asked her once, okay, how does acupuncture work? 
And she said, from a Western perspective, it's difficult to, to say. It releases the chi. And I said, okay, for me, that was, that was a good enough answer. I understood, as, at least as I understand chi, it made sense. Well, I will tell you that uh, one of my colleagues went back to school to become a, a medical researcher. Um, and has, there are many studies that because he was saying that there is not the research and people want the research. And his, he has formulated studies based on his training. And he's an amazing energetic practitioner as well. So he has both parts of his brain working. And um, we can put that information out there as well. I don't know if he has a website about it where there been where he's trying to create studies that would say why, you know, that would kind of answer that question a little bit more in a way that might satisfy a, 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 a left brain, a thinker who wants that kind of information. So, uh, so there are there are a little bit of that going on, but you know what I what I would often say is that well there have been studies to show uh, look at electromagnetic uh, 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 oh, shock therapy cons- yeah, well electromagnetic um, um, resonance on the acupuncture points and then sham acupuncture points and that there would be a difference in you know you know meaning a, a point that's not an acupuncture point and anyway but that but we we uh we are uh but so you know even with again gathering information um we are gathering information with a certain point of view but that's not bad i know i mean i still think that it's still incredibly useful to get the information that's out there uh, and then and then supplement it, as I said. So then you would go to Steve Birch's website or get that information about some other things. Well, this says this, but they don't really have the experience, so we're going to go here and look at why these combinations of, of whatever have worked in this setting. You, you, you see, so it's, so again, we look at it in a discerning way of gathering information and being clear about... Um, you know what we're what the question is for our own health oh yes yeah i understand and i think that more research should be done on the efficacy of um traditional medicines um we may be using a lot of drugs for various diseases, but they're not um, they're not benign necessarily. Right. Having heard doctors say, "Well, if we treat this person's diabetes with this, it's going to make their um, COPD worse." I'm just giving an example. Yes. Not, and it's such an incredible balancing act, and Right. When you hear that the average person, I'm trying to remember what the age was, we'll just say the average person over the age of 65 is on 14 medications a day. Mm. Um, personally, I, I like the idea of as few as possible, um, but they all have an interaction, and it can be tricky and potentially dangerous if um, people don't understand that drug A and drug B don't play together very well. So that could be found on Medline Plus as well. Yes. Or, yes, or a pharmacist. There must be a pharmacy. Uh, do you find that there are things that you work on, work with? Is there a pharmaceutical, you know, not, pharma- not pharmaceutical, but actual pharmacists who have that kind of information available to us? You know, I have come to appreciate that there are people in the healthcare field who don't get the recognition that they really ought to, and pharmacists are, are one group. I happened to ride a commuter van with a couple of pharmacists, and their knowledge just absolutely boggles me. And I think community pharmacists as well have that knowledge. And people just don't always realize that um, there are multiple sources where they can get information. You know, 
I saw an expression once a number of years ago. An expert is someone who knows more and more about less and less. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, doctors, I am equally impressed by what doctors have to know. And yes, but it's not everybody, not each person has all of the answers. And hopefully, you know, your doctor or your primary care provider realizes when he, she or he does not have all the answers. And then call someone like you. Yes. That's really the trick to actually take that next step. Now, so you've done your you, the, the case of your friend or the breast cancer. We've done the Medline Plus um, search and we've gotten some information. We have some words we don't understand and then we're able to actually look those up and to see what's actually being said and what those articles mean. And then we want more information. Would that be a time to go to the National Library of Medicine? Would that be a time to, you know, to deepen the search? If that We've gotten some information, but wait, I, I need more. Well, um, you can stay temporarily stay on the Medline Plus website and go to the um, associations. And as I mentioned earlier, they have links to the American Cancer Society and the ACS has a section for patients. Uh, It's also possible to go to the American Society of Clinical Oncologists, get information there. But yes, if I were in this situation, my next would be to go to PubMed, the the National Library. That's the public medicine medicine. database. And probably put in the search box breast cancer and therapy because I would want to know what are the treatment options available. But you could also put in, for instance, breast cancer in surgery or and if you if you are lucky enough to um, connect with a medical librarian, they can do the search. How would you do that? How oh my gosh! <laughs> how would a person? No, are there oh. is there a way to you know not you necessarily or maybe you, but how would one find someone? Who, um, well, we said that we, you should ask your own librarian and their research. I know in the Belfast Library we have a floor, a research floor. I imagine we have a research librarian there. I should have asked before I came on. But, you know, how, how would one get that kind of connection? Well, one of the things that interests me in not only educating the public about what they can find, um, in so many fields, and I can speak to librarianship, we have the public librarians, we have the medical librarians, and they don't always interact. So mm-hmm. we are in our own little silo. So by offering to go around and do staff trainings or give presentations at, at various public libraries or, or other groups, I am hopeful that I can help start to bridge mm build a bridge across those silos so that people, for public librarians, may say, oh, wait a minute. And this actually has happened as a result of speaking at Curtis Memorial in Brunswick. I now have a contact, and she has actually emailed me a couple of times and said, well, what about this? And in fact, asked me to evaluate a website. Um, The people who made the website had contacted, I guess, a number of public libraries and said, oh, we'd really like you to put this website, our website, on your page. And Oh. She, yes. So you really need to make sure that that meets the discerning standards that we've discussed, accuracy, some, uh, what, uh, credibility in terms of research. Yeah. Um, not selling and, anything necessarily, non-commercial, um, actually. Well, I can, yeah. I can tell you that after looking at it, and it was very well done. Um, and I looked at some of the statements. Now, they didn't cite references, but being the medical librarian that I am, I'd look at the statement, and then I went into PubMed 
and did a search to find out, is this really true? Is this statement accurate? And it was. However, a little more searching, and I realized, well, actually, I, I, my first tip-off that this might be a front for a law firm was the website dealt with, said that they, it was a, a drug information center. There was a very short list of drugs, and I knew that they had all been implicated in lawsuits. Oh. So, so isn't that something? <laughs> so how would a regular person know that? My goodness. Just like um, the, uh, I know we're going to run out of time here. Chris, you're going to have to come back. I, I can come back for a repeat engagement. <laughs> uh, right. Right. We can have a feature, ask the medical librarian at some point. But I know the 20th Century Fox used fake news, as they say, to publicize a cure for wellness, which is a, uh, a, a, sh- a movie. And, yes. and they put a website up. And, you know, I don't like to use the, the, the jargon, but they misleading and uh, did it for commercial purposes that were not not useful for someone who's really, it was harmful. Actually, someone who is really looking for some information should not uh, have to uh, be subjected to something that someone else wants to make money from, such as a movie company. Yeah. <laughs> right. And actually, to answer your question, um, if someone came across the website that I was just describing, yes, one of the sections was health information. So you could check uh, the information on, well, one of the things I know or remember was Xarelto. Down at the very bottom of the page, you could click here for your free consultation. Oh, click here for your free consultation. Yes. So So that was a pretty good tip-off right there. So there you go. Even before I got to that, looking at the list of drugs, I go, oh, yeah, okay. Wow. I know where you folks are coming from. My goodness. You got it. So that did not make it onto the uh, public library website. website. No, it did did not. So So I know that there are at least two public libraries in Maine that do not have that on their website. (laughs) That's great. So, Chris, we could go on and on. This is so interesting. We have many, many um, pieces of information. We're going to put the Medline Plus. We're going to put some of the other resources. We're going to put the link to your article, you and Susan Bloomfield's, I believe, article um, that you wrote for the uh, the Health, uh, the Portland uh, Press Herald. And we're going to, so we'll have lots of information for people to continue doing uh, their own research and find out help if they uh, if they need to um, if they need to uh, do that. So for those who just tuned in, you have been listening to Healthy Options. Thank you, Chris Floriel, for being on the show today. If who is a, a medical library researcher and medical librarian and. If you missed any part of this program, you can find it along with other Healthy Options programs on the Public Affairs Archives at WERU.org. And it'll also be streamed online at WERU for two weeks shortly after the show. Thanks to Joel Greenman for engineering, to Petra Hall for being the co-producer. Thanks, as always, to all of our WER listeners and supporters. And please do pledge your support for the public affairs programming you hear on WERU Community Radio. You can call right now at 1-800-643-6273. That's 1-800-643-6273. People are standing by to take your pledge. Thank you. Thank you for listening. I'm Rhonda Feynman. I wishing, and I am wishing you the best for your health. Thanks for tuning in. And the number to call for the Funathon connection is 1-800-643-6273. Or if you live way out in China somewhere, 207 469 6600. You can get to us from anywhere in the world if you're listening on WERU.org. And that's a good place also to make a pledge. WERU.org is a wonderfully cozy and warm place to go and make your repledging, make your up of the, uh, of the standard that you've made on your monthly donations. Whatever way you do it, get in touch with us now because Funathon is continuing and we hope that you get involved with us. Stay tuned for. On the Wing, which is coming up with Mel in just about a minute. And we appreciate your being there.
Hello, this is CJ Walk, your host for Common Ground Radio, which airs on the first Friday of each month at 10 a.m. here on WERU, your community radio station. Common Ground, brought to you by the Maine Organic Farmers and Gardeners Association, is an hour-long show devoted to the discussion of organic farming practices and agricultural policy issues that affect us here in Maine and beyond. We talk with certified organic farmers, local food producers,